Hello, Canucks fans. We're back, and welcome into episode 85 of the Canucks Speakeasy podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. It's been a while, Doug. It's been a while, but it's nice to be back and actually talking some hockey again on this episode. Yeah, it is. I think you and I both needed a little bit of a break, uh, but, you know, personal things happened to me. I know you lost a near and dear friend yourself. Um, and yeah, I definitely needed a break, but it is nice to kind of get back in front of the mic because this is kind of a good outlet. At least it is for me and I'm sure you feel the same. Uh, but yeah, it's nice to be podding again. For sure, man. And yeah, um, I'm dedicating this episode to my good buddy, Cam. Uh, he was, he was a huge Canucks fan and, uh, you know, a, a lot of my most recent memories are of him coming over from the Island and going to games. But yeah, tough, tough couple weeks for both of us. Um, we appreciate all the kind words out there on social media. I know social media these days is a, a cesspool, uh, so it was nice to hear from some people. We appreciate that, and uh, yeah, we just need a little bit of time. But I, I know it's still quiet on the Canucks front, but we're gonna I, this episode. I think we're just gonna get caught up on a few more things overall. Yeah, I mean, there has been a couple of news and notes from Canucks land. Namely, they got the Dickinson deal signed. Uh, they signed Olya Levy. Uh, it sounds like there's going to be a change in musical direction at the in-game experience during this season. Uh, so those are all kind of Canucks topics we'll kind of go through and divulge a little bit, dive deeper in. But uh, yeah, man, it's uh, it's good to be back. Also, the other thing coming up right around the corner, Pete, this weekend is our fantasy football draft. I'm on the 10 slot, so uh, we're in a 10-person league. Uh, so I'm on the turn with... Uh, picks 10 and 11 i believe pete you're uh picking at eighth yeah man uh, i got you on the inside there so um i'm hoping to kind of see you know pick your brain a little bit and see which way you're leaning at 10 10's a tricky spot this year but yeah i'm stoked man uh, i i love fantasy football and you know as soon as it comes back it, it just is like how did i live without this and uh that's about to happen again yeah and this this year especially like i think there's i think they said I saw, I was watching, I think it was like NFL Total Access, or maybe it was like a NFL fantasy show I was watching, but they were saying this year has the most quarterback changes since 1999, I believe it was. The more quarterbacks changed teams this year than any other year in the past, I guess, 21, 22 years. 1999, I think there was 15 quarterbacks that changed teams, and I believe there was 15 quarterbacks, or I shouldn't say necessarily changed teams, but new quarterbacks were starting for 15-plus teams. That's incredible. Do you ever like go through and you're looking at uh, players and and or doing mock drafts or something, and you're like, holy crap, I forgot this guy plays for this team now. Oh, yeah, all the time. I mean, obviously, there's some big names like Julio Jones is a Tennessee Titan. And he's a bigger name than I think most people realize that he left. But one of my, and again, you know, maybe I shouldn't be showing my hand, but one of my. Give me some details. Well, one of my, always I love taking this guy as a late round flyer. And I've taken him, I think, the last two years. Philip Lindsay, he's in uh, the Texans now, right? He's in Houston. So uh, he's a guy that I was surprised was uh, playing for the Texans. And yeah, there's been a couple of pretty big names that are in new teams this year. 
Doug, I'm not going to block you from taking all the Texans you want this year. So uh, I think you're, I think you're safe with that one. Yeah, man, that's going to be a lot of fun. We're doing that uh, this weekend. So um, mostly via zooms and auto drafts and whatnot. So uh, I'm pretty stoked to get that going. So it's, it's nice, like going into this time of year, I know it's, you know, it's sad that summer's ending and we've had quite the summer, but uh, I love fall. I really do. And I, I mean, you're setting up here for the best stretch in sports in North America. Everything's going on. You got all big four leagues going. Baseball goes into the World Series. F1 is still going on. All the soccer is going on. Uh, it's it's just such an amazing time of year. And uh, I, I love the changing of the seasons, but I love the sports at this time of year as well. Uh, are you happy that uh, pumpkin spice beer is filling up the liquor store shelves again? Oh, you remember my rants every year about pumpkin spice <laughs> beer and 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 it's gotten better in previous years. I just really remember the BC liquor by my house like a few years ago. Uh, they had like nine of the the bombers back when like the bombers were really popular and they had like nine pumpkin beers and I was just like, man, like I, I used to buy bombers more at that time. I'm I'm definitely a tall can guy now. But I was just like, holy crap, man, like everyone's making pumpkin beers. And, you know, you can do a good pumpkin beer, but you don't need nine of them out there. Like, come on. Yeah, I think every brewery just wants that skew when it comes to fall time, right? But uh, I don't mind the pumpkin beer. Some are better than others. Uh, I like it. I'm not a big pumpkin latte or a pumpkin, you know, macchiato fan or anything like that. I still like my coffee black. But, uh, yeah, I can dabble in a pumpkin beer here or there. Well, I'll I'll give you some of mine, and um, I uh, I'm I'm definitely a little bit over the pumpkin beers myself. Hey, Doug, um, we should also mention we've decided that this is going to be the start of season three of the podcast. This episode, we normally take a break in August. Uh, we took it a little earlier this year than we planned on, just to the aforementioned reasons. So we figure, you know what? Now we're we're going to kind of get things going again. Um, we're not going to go in any sort of pattern really until things start to heat up or until big news happens but yeah welcome to season three Doug we've made it uh just past two years now actually uh doing this podcast I believe August 26th was our uh two-year anniversary crazy uh yeah season three here we are man I still can't believe you know we're going into our third year essentially and uh three seasons of the podcast I mean yeah that's awesome man and I I look forward to what this season it's definitely going to be full of Lots of Canucks talk and lots of ups and downs throughout the course of the season. And uh, I think this team is going to be a lot better this year than I think some people think. Uh, they're in a weak division and they have a very strong chance at uh, being in a playoff spot. Yeah, you're, you're right about the division. I know this is something that's been bantered around Canucks land. The Pacific is a weird one. I, I still think Vegas is the team to beat. And I'm, I'm sure I've said this before, but I don't feel that they're quite as strong. Seattle is a wild card. Uh, Calgary and Edmonton, I mean, I'm not really sure what, what they're going to do. I think Edmonton's going to be decent, but Calgary's a little tough to read. LA is improved. I, I don't really have a lot of faith in the other two teams down in California. So the Canucks are set up in a position where if things go well, they could make the playoffs. I, I think they, I do think in that division, they are a playoff team. Um, and, but regardless of anything, it's a much improved product at least on paper it's very intriguing you know and I've mentioned before as well how I feel like we can finally say top nine now I you're plugging in Garland Dickinson and Pod Colson in your top nine that's a huge shift from what the team has done with a really struggling bottom six the last couple of years 
Yeah, uh, and if they can stay healthy, you know, they should have four solid lines. Even that fourth line, I know, you know, you're going to have the likes of Brandon Sunder centering that line. But, you know, you'll have Tyler Mott and then maybe a mix of a Highmore or uh, Zach McEwen. You know, so they should have decent depth lines one through four. Uh, the top nine, I agree, though, th- those first three lines should be able to score goals for you uh consistently uh it's going to be the play of the defense though and i think that's where a lot of people are worried about heading into this year is you know how the defense is going to look a lot of people are skeptical of oel a lot of people are skeptical of tucker pullman i like travis hamannick and i still think travis hamannick has a lot of hockey left and i thought down the stretch last year he was one of the best if not the best defenseman on this canucks team and then obviously you know tyler myers is who we thought he was uh you know he he, to quote the the great uh danny green i think it was uh coach green anyways uh yeah he is who we think he is uh but i still think you know myers in limited roles and more of a sheltered minutes i think can be a serviceable player for this team i don't think he's going to get much power play time anymore uh i'm interested to see what kind of penalty killing time he's going to get i would assume your right side penalty killers are mostly going to be hammonick and pullman so maybe myers isn't even on the pk and i don't see him slotting in for uh for the um sorry there's just a dog uh, that's up popped up on (laughs) pete's lap that's all good man sorry i'm I'm house sitting, and uh, this dog is uh, very much in need of attention, aren't you, buddy? You, you got to get down, buddy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I do wonder, you know, what Myers will be like heading into next year, playing sheltered minutes, because I don't see him getting on the second unit power play. I don't see him playing much penalty killing time. So if he's just a five on five play defenseman, you know, maybe some of those warts in his game won't be as noticeable or won't be as prevalent with those sheltered minutes. I think uh, fourth line, you're right. I think Mott and Sutter are going to be the anchors there, and there's a spot up for grabs. Um, two guys I think could squeeze in there, Philip Giuseppe and also William Lockwood. And you know I've been a, a fan of Lockwood and the way he plays. I think he could really fit into that role, but there's definitely a spot up for grabs. But it's nice to you know have that fourth line that's actually more of a true fourth line and you're completely right about the blue line everything with uh, the Canucks comes back to the blue line there's no denying that the forward core is better but I mean that really this season a lot of it is going to depend on what we have with Oliver Ekman Larson is he going to return to form if he doesn't that's a huge anchor on the blue line and the team's going to be in a lot of trouble um, I think there is some bounce back in him, but uh, we'll, we'll have to see. I'm always kind of more half glass full with these things. And, uh, you know, Tucker Pullman as well. I don't know enough about Pullman. You're right. And, I mean, what are we going to see from Quinn Hughes? Who's going to take that last LD spot with uh, Yolevi and Rathbone and Hunt in the mix? Uh, it's It's really going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah, one other thing with the defense heading into this year that I would hopefully, and I think most Canuck fans would agree, like to see is Hughes kind of step up his defensive game because he didn't have a great defensive year last year. His rookie year, I thought he was okay defensively, but last year he did seem to really struggle. So hopefully he kind of works some of those kinks out in the offseason heading into this year. I think there's going to be more defensive structure to the way that the Canucks are going to be playing. 
At least I hope so. And yeah, I would like to see Hughes develop his game and be a little bit more sound on the defensive side because I think that will, you know, that's going to help this team moving forward as well. And if Hughes is the defenseman that I think most Canuck fans, myself included, think he is, he does need to get that aspect of his game a little bit more uh, dialed in. Yeah, and Hughes' NHL career, he's played 129 regular season games. He's a minus 34, and he was minus 24 last year. Um, he, he's certainly got the offensive tools. We know that. I mean, it hurt not having Tanov with him this year. It was uh, That was, I think, definitely affected him. I, I wonder how they're going to shuffle all these things around, uh, whether it's going to be a Poolman or a Hamannick. I don't think they'd put Myers there. That just didn't really seem to work very well last time. Um, who do you think on the left side, though? Who do you think's got the inside edge? And I'm, I'm going to actually go out a little bit on a limb, and just because of his contract status, uh, and we'll talk about more about the contract later, is I think Levy may get the nod. Uh, but, you know, Brad Hunt hasn't played in the minors in, I, I believe, five years, and Jack Rathbone looked really good. It's going to be a hell of a battle, I think. And, and you know the Canucks aren't going to carry five left D as well. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I think at the end of last se- as the season last year ended, everyone assumed it would be Rathbone. And it still could. If Rathbone comes into training camp, I do believe, you know, if he is playing well enough to earn that spot, the one thing you can say about this management group, and I, they deserve a lot of criticism over the years, but they have given the players that have earned spots out of training camp spots on the roster. Uh, you know, they players make the team. If they've earned the right to make the team, they'll be on the team opening night roster. Uh, and so if Rathbone comes into training camp and he, you know, blows the doors off of everybody and, you know, proves that he is an NHL player now and he's ready to go. I can definitely see him making the team. But Brad Hunt is a very interesting player. He's a guy, like you said, he hasn't played in the minors for, what, four or five years. He is a serviceable bottom-pairing NHL defenseman. Uh, He does have some offensive upside as well. And I think it's, yeah, I think it could be between him. Yolevi, I know his contract status, you know, he's not waiver exempt this year so that's a little bit concerning i don't see Yolevi getting picked up off waivers i just don't because in order for a team we've discussed this before but in order for a team to pick him up off waivers he's got to stay on their 24 man roster or 23 man roster right are you gonna claim a guy off waivers just to sit him in the press box all the time i highly doubt it rathbone he could be the guy that you send down to abbotsford because you know he could help drive ticket sales, and people are going to want to go and watch that kid play. But I do think if he has a really good training camp and he comes in prepared and ready to earn that spot, he'll be in the starting night lineup. I really do. Well, you know I've been a Rathbone fan since they drafted him, and I do believe he's the most talented of the three. So I would love to see that. It is nice to see that the Canucks have really loaded up on defense this year. Another under-the-radar signing uh, while in between episodes for us was uh, Guillaume Brisebois coming back to the club as well. And you're going to have a good blue line. I mean, right now, let's let's just say... Brad Hunt gets set down, and uh, you know he he's the uh, he's the odd man out on the left side. He would be joining a cast down there of Jet Wu, Brady Keeper, Kyle Burrows, Guillaume Brisebois, Devonte Stevens, and Madison Bowie. That's the the deepest decor they've had in a while. And Wu, Keeper, Burrows, and Bowie are all right side defensemen too. So there are that that's another thing where the Canucks were really really thin the last few years. Um, you know, I also like the Brady Keeper signing and the story with that guy. So. It's going to be interesting to see. 
Hey, uh, let's uh, let's get our plugs in. We haven't done that. We've been chatting uh, Canucks for 15 minutes or so here, which is great. And we're going to dive into a few more hot topics here. But you can follow us on Twitter. I hope I remember our plugs. It's been a while. I'm at Pete underscore gas. And the, the podcast is at Canucks Speak. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And be sure to follow our Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist on Spotify. Pete and I continue to build this playlist with the outro songs and every episode being added to that playlist, be sure to give that a follow as well. Another funky groove is going to be added at the end of this episode. So Doug, let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the contracts out there. And let's start with the ones that haven't signed because it's impossible to ignore that we are now into September and Petey and Hughes have yet to sign. Now, they're certainly not alone in the league in terms of guys not getting signed, and we're starting to see some of the dominoes fall around the league as guys start to get locked up. Are you concerned at all that they haven't signed yet? Yes and no. Uh, I guess I'm concerned that one of them hasn't signed yet. Uh, I I think the reason they haven't signed is because the Canucks are waiting to be able to put Furland's LTIR, $3.5 million on LTIR. So that's one of the reasons why I don't think they've gotten a long-term or two bridge deals done. But, I mean, I would think that they should be able to at least get one of the bridge deals done if they both have to get, be bridged. So I'm surprised that someone like Hughes hasn't been bridged yet. Um, and then, yeah, they were always going to end up having to wait for Furland's uh, LTIR money to or his his contract to go on to LTIR in order for the, them to get this those both those players signed yeah and we I know we talked about this ad nauseum and we got super nerdy last episode with Leaf about how the Canucks actually have closer to 16 million dollars of cap space should uh, should you get into that um, but there's now 19 RFAs left in the NHL including those two there are some other names of note on there the Sens have Brady Kachuk and Drake Batherson sitting out there uh, Rasmus Dahlin Kyler Yamamoto Robert Thomas Nolan Pratt Patrick but the list is getting smaller and smaller oh the Sens also have Logan Brown uh, uh, as well. So they've got a few characters, but it, it's, I know what you mean. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, I do think that they're obviously, uh, the, the 10 million or so is not going to be enough to get both of these guys done, even on bridge deals. It's just, that's just not going to happen. And I know that, that you can go 10% over. And if you're using cap friendly as your resource there, the Canucks roster is actually over in size right now. If you're using the cap, the cap friendly model is it's got 24 players on it. And some of those guys, like I said, I don't, I don't think you're going to have all of Dowling, Giuseppe and Bailey and McEwen all on the team to, to start. So, I mean, there is some extra money there to play with. Uh, but I do think that they, they're really having to analyze every way you're going to do this. And the ideal way, of course, is to put them on LTIR once the season starts. So maybe you can get verbal agreements in place. Uh, but the, 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 of course, the downside with that is at least with one of them, and it would likely be Hughes, in my opinion, is that he hasn't gotten any preseason games in. And he's going to come in cold doing that. So that's the only downside. But I do think that that is probably the best way to play it is to hopefully get PD signed before camp or the other way around. But I think it'll likely be PD and then uh, get the, once it's, once it's time to submit your rosters, you submit it with Furlan, move them to LTIR and then you sign Hughes. But of course, like I said, the downside is no preseason games for him. Yeah. And you know, I think the preseason and training camp is important and that's, what's a little unfortunate in order for the Canucks. And we had leaf on, uh, I think it was a couple episodes ago, explain this a little bit better than I'm about to, but essentially, yeah, you want 
to be able to get as close to that 3.5 million and the best way to do it is to wait to pretty much the day the opening night where teams have to submit their 23 man roster and so there could be a back deal door deal with the Canucks and both PD and Hughes or maybe just one of them that as soon as that happens they'll put Furlan's 3.5 on LTIR and then they'll get the deal done but then, yeah, you've got a player that's missing out on training camp, missing out on preseason games. And I think this year especially, I think you want all your all your ducks in a row. You want all your guys coming in, doing a hard training camp, being prepared for the season. You know, it's not great when one of your players is lagging a little bit. Not that I'm questioning Hughes or Pedersen's off-ice training, but it's still not, you know, game speed and it's still not like, you know, bag skating and all that stuff that often happens in training camps and preseason games. And yeah, that is one thing that's going to be a little concerning that there it's more than likely that one of them is going to miss preseason and training camp. I mean, the other thing is you can, like I said, you can go 10% over. Uh, It's just making sure that when you look at it, you have the pieces in place to balance out so that you can still move Furland to LTIR to gain the maximum that you can. So it can be done. It's just it's uh, it's going to have to be a bit creative. And I know I've heard that there they have capologists and people all looking at it and all the different ways they can do it and coming up with numbers that work best for the team. But we'll have to see. I'm not terribly concerned, uh, but I do think that as we get closer, you know how this fan base is. There's going to be more and more of a oh crap, well, what are we doing now? What's Benning done this time? We're not going into the season with our two best players. But uh, I do think, regardless of anything, I, I do believe that both will be in the roster on opening night. And and yeah, you're right about the blue, especially with the blue line. I mean, there's there's a lot of moving pieces in there. You have a couple of new bodies in there in Pullman and Ekman Larson and, and Brad Hunt as well and Luke Shen returning. So they, you, you really need to figure out what you got with the blue line and uh, who's going where. But you also do have that loaded up left side right now. Now, should, for whatever reason, Hughes miss some time? But I, I don't think anybody wants Hughes to miss any of the regular season. I mean, I mean, who does? Other teams, maybe, but not us. Yeah, and, you know, we've seen this before with Brock Besser and Bo Horvat. You know, their RFA contract extensions went down to the wire as well. And they signed, you know, last minute or, you know, into tr- training camp. It already started, I believe, and I think it was a day or two into training camp. And, Brock Besser had signed, I believe, Horvat. It was the day before training camp, and he signed. And you mentioned it earlier. There's already some big-name RFAs still out there. I mean, Rasmus Dahlin is one of them, and he's unsigned. And who knows what's going on in Buffalo because obviously they're trying to figure out what to do with Jack Eichel as well. Um, So there's going to be big-name players. Generally speaking, most players end up signing before the season or they might miss a game or two into the regular season and then they sign the last big name RFA I can remember that missed significant time because he didn't sign his deal I believe was William Nylander in Toronto I believe he missed like almost two months and I believe he was getting to that deadline I I think it's like November 20th or something like that if he didn't sign by then then he couldn't play at all in the NHL he would probably have had to gone to Europe and sign a one-year deal over in Europe yeah, he was as last minute as it got, um, and that was that was fun to watch because it was Toronto and there was meltdowns <laughs> all over the place, and he came back and actually played quite well for them. Um, but at least, you know, I, I do think the Canucks, the one thing that, that they're certainly, I believe, protected from right now is the fear of offer sheets. I Obviously, Hughes 
can't get offer sheeted. And then Pedersen, the, the Canucks have the space to match. It's just, would someone come in over the top and do something ridiculous? But um, I, I wanted to, with that in mind, I wanted to talk a, a little bit about this Montreal Carolina thing, because that's sure made hockey entertaining last week uh, with the Kotkaniemi signing the offer sheets. Uh, and there's a lot of things to unpack with this. Uh, you know, it's a 6.1 and $15 contract with a $20 signing bonus. Carolina's Twitter just went full troll mode, even doing the announcement in French. Like they just, uh, it's, it's, it's fun to see this. I'm sure glad I'm not a Habs fan. Cause I, I'd be pissed <laughs> off at, at this, but it's, uh, it, it's, I gotta say in a sport, we know we've talked about this before where there's often devoid of character, there, there is, a, there is. This was some nice trolling, but at the end of the day, this is a player as well that Carolina really likes. They tried to get out of Montreal. They feel he's going to be a good fit on that team, uh, with especially with all the other young Euro skaters that they got over there. Um, what do, you, what do you think though, Doug? Do you think I, I could go first with this one? Um, but I don't think Montreal matches. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I've heard, I've heard. Both, right? I think the idea to lose Kakadiem, even though it's only a one-year deal and you're overpaying him now, the chance of an extension after this year, he's not going to be, unless he has a lights-out year, he's not going to be making six-plus million on a long-term deal at the end of this season. But then I've also heard that maybe Kakadiem gets, you know, they don't sign or they don't match the offer sheet and they go hard after Jack Eichel. There's a lot of rumors swirling, at least I've seen, or speculation that the Canadians are going to go after Jack Eichel. And the only two players they are not willing to trade are Suzuki and, um, oh, what's his name? The little winger dude who the Canucks could have drafted, but we took Pod Colson instead. Caulfield. Cole Caulfield. Those apparently are the only two players that Montreal doesn't want to have to give up in a Jack Eichel trade. But again, if you're Buffalo... I would want at least one of those players back in a Jack Eichel trade. So it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, but that would, I think that would kind of ease some of the pain of losing Kakaniemi like this for Montreal fans if they could go and hit a home run by trading for a guy like Jack Eichel. But again, Jack Eichel's got a lot of question marks. He still might need neck surgery. And we're, you know, the, the, the we're a month away from the season starting, essentially. A month and a week, let's call it. And, you know, there's still lots of talk and speculation that Eichel could need surgery. And that surgery could put him out anywhere for between four to six months. Yeah, and a couple of things just with uh, with Buffalo before we get back to them is they're not even at the cap floor yet. I know they've signed a few guys today. Um, but Montreal on the, on the other side is they have zero cap space. And you're looking at a pretty massive contract. I mean, that's a $10 million cap hit. So you'd have to move at least $10 million. I mean, really, it could be up to 12 right now just to kind of uh, get Buffalo to the floor in this deal and kind of do something along with the cap dumps, kind of like uh, the deal that Vancouver made with Arizona. But, yeah, there's a lot of questions. I mean, the, the thing is, is if you... Don't sign Kotkaniemi. You get a first and a third for next year in what is supposed to be a deep draft. So you now have two firsts. And Montreal has always done a really good job with hoarding picks. It would give them two firsts, a second, three thirds, and two fourths next year. So they have a lot of picks they could play with to work in a deal for Eichel. But who do you send out there as well? Like, I mean, are you sending Drew Ann back as part of the deal? That's five and a half million there. And 
Do you send, uh, I, I don't know, like, I mean, there's no one really on the blue line besides Petrie that you could send back, and he's got four years left, so I don't know if that's a guy that Buffalo wants. So I, I just think, I think the the cap hit is, is, is the way they've done this is quite interesting because uh, it's the 6.1 offer sheet basically means, that it, let's say Montreal matches it, and this is where I would say, you know what, let, let's, let's walk. Let's say Montreal matches it. Kotkaniemi has a bad year. You then have to qualify him at 6.1 or else he becomes a UFA. And he could take that 6.1 and you got him now as your second most expensive forward after underperforming. And that's that's a huge amount of risk. So you could work out other deals with him as well to get you on a lower cap hit. But if he's not had a, a strong year, I mean, that's uh, that's going to be risky. So for me, it's that's a big part of it is uh, the 6.1. It just makes it really tough. And again, the guy's going to be 21 and be a UFA. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, you know, kudos to Carolina. I mean, this is like one of the most petty things I've ever seen. Because obviously this is going back to when Montreal offer sheeted Ajo. Uh, what was it? Two years ago, I believe they offer sheeted yeah. him for a one-year deal. Um, no, and it, I was think, a, it was a five-year deal. They, oh, it was they a five-year deal. For, okay. Yeah. Um, and Aho, I think, is a hell of a player. I think he's one of the most underrated players. I don't even know if he's underrated. I just don't know if he gets as much praise as he should. But uh, this is payback, like clear as day. And the fact that the signing bonus was $20, which happens to be Aho's number, it's just like, wow. And to me, I mean, the fact that Kakinyami signed this contract that had a $20 signing bonus, so that's the guaranteed money up front, to me is almost a big fuck you back to the Canadians as well because For he sure. was benched in the Stanley Cup final um and I I don't know if that sat well with him because I did he struggled at times but I think throughout the course of the playoffs I thought Kakaniemi played relatively well I believe he had a couple of game winners throughout the Montreal Canadiens run this year and I, yeah I think it's really put in the you know the strings to Montreal and they've got some decisions now could they try to move a bad contract sure but now you're also giving up a draft pick probably to move a bad contract to then over pay a player that apparently they were in negotiations to try and sign and Montreal was trying to get him in under three million on a long-term deal and Cockney wanted more than three it's also interesting to note that apparently Montreal and Carolina had been in talks on a Kakaniemi trade prior, like a week or two prior to Carolina officially offering or giving him an offer sheet. So I, I don't know if it came as big of a surprise to the Canadians that Carolina did this, but as a hockey fan and as a person who doesn't have a horse in the race, I absolutely love it. If this happened to the Canucks, Oh, I would be pissed, man. I would be so pissed if uh, Carolina or a team like that did this to the Canucks. But, uh, you know, as a standoff fan, I I absolutely adore it, man. I think it's great for the game. I think it's great for the league. And fuck the Montreal Canadiens, man. They've done enough winning. And also the fact that they drafted Stefan Mayu this year, which was a disgusting and terrible uh, act on their behalf, in my opinion. Uh, Yeah, I Good on them. Good on Don Waddell and the Carolina Hurricanes for doing what they did. 
And I mean, as much as it's petty, this is a player that they liked. And I mean, Sebastian Ajo is 24, Tivo Teravainen is 26, and you add in now a 21-year-old Finn as well to that core. So uh, again, that's just, that's a guy that they liked. And it's petty, but they wanted to bring him in. They saw something and they saw an opportunity. So it, it's going to be interesting. I've also heard rumors that uh, they have some verbal agreement in place with him to sign a more long-term deal. But I do think that Kotkaniemi wanted out. I don't think he was happy there. I think it was, uh, I do think that that stung and I think it was, he wanted to make a change and he wouldn't, you're right. He wouldn't sign it with all that without knowing what he was doing. But I mean, on the same note, you're getting three to four times what you were going to get paid or what Montreal was offering uh, and above market value. What he's got, what he signed for is way above market value. I mean, there's potential there. Uh, if he got that, if he plays well and he was coming off of his entry level deal or he give him another couple of years. Sure. That's right in the ballpark where he's at. And there could be that element of it too, is Carolina say, Hey, we're going to give you this. And then we, you know, we extend you at a five-year deal at like, you know, five and a half million or something. And, and if he, performs to that level that's a great bargain for them as well so i i wouldn't be surprised with that but again as as petty as it is i don't think they were doing it just to that they saw an opportunity montreal is right up against the cap and they took advantage of it it's like well we can't trade is he worth a first and a third for us like yeah let's do it and plus it's going to be some fun pr but yeah again i'm glad it wasn't the canucks in there but it's nice to to have a bit of fun in in hockey yeah, and again, I loved also seeing a lot of the like the big media guys that have been on vacation pop back up on Twitter. I know Friedman and LeBron pop back up like, oh, I'm in I'm vacationing at the family cabin, but I had to come out and say what's going on here. This is craziness. And uh yeah, again, I love it too. I I think Kakiniemi, you know, he's still young and he, there's still some, you know, issues in his game, but I think he can develop into a very good player. He's also a really big kid actually. I don't think people realize how big of a kid he is. He still has that baby face, but he he's a big he's a big body, man. He feels he takes up a lot of space on the ice and, you know, I don't know if he's ever going to be a prolific goal scorer, a pro- prolific point producer in the NHL. But he could be a very serviceable two-way player that has a bit of finish in his game uh, down the line here. I could see him uh, playing a little bit similar to Ryan Nugent Hopkins' game. That's kind of where I think uh, he could be. Yeah, 6'2", 198. Um, I think he could. I I liked from what I've seen of him playing. Um, But again, uh, is he worth a first and a third? Eh, You know, maybe, Uh, especially depending on how well Carolina does. That could be a later first. I know it's a deep draft. Thirds are, you know, you're kind of rolling the dice once you get to the third and you get a third overall pick. So uh, it's it's a fun one. And uh, I'm curious to see. But my vote is they don't match. What's your vote? Yeah, I don't think Montreal matches either because they're going to have to move salary and I don't think they're in a position to want to move a bad contract for what the going rate is to have to move a bad contract is currently in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, uh, they need to move in my my estimates at least four and a half million dollars out to to do that. And they just signed Mike Hoffman for four and a half million. So uh, it's yeah, I, I just don't see it happening um, in Vancouver, though. Uh, a couple of other signings that we talked about earlier in the episode, or at least just mentioned Olio Levy, and Jason Dickinson, both signing there with the Canucks, which is great to see there with a couple of the other RFAs um, with uh, with Olio Levy. It's a one way deal at seven hundred fifty thousand league minimum. 
pretty much a, a show me deal at this point. And then Dickinson, he got three years, averages out to 2.65, um, which for me was actually a bit less than I was putting into my models. I had him closer to 2.9. Um, I think these are both great value contracts. Um, I, as you know, I've, I like Jason Dickinson, and he's more what you need for a third-line center in the NHL, not what the Canucks have been doing. Brandon Sutter, at his hit, is fine for a fourth liner 1.125 for a fourth line center all right that's fine but he wasn't a third line center he never lived up to that dickinson to me is more of a prototypical nhl third line center and you'll levy it's like you look you know it's i know he's being ravaged by injuries and all this and that but he's 23 now it's kind of time to put out and show up you know like just uh, become an nhl player but doug what do you think of these two deals do you have any issues with either of them no, I, I don't. I mean, the Ulevi deal, I was actually surprised that he signed a one-year league minimum 750K deal. You hit the nail on the head, Pete. It's a show-me deal, right? Hopefully, Ulevi can develop into an NHL player. I do think he had a lot of potential, and injuries have derailed his development, unfortunately. His mobility on the ice just doesn't seem to be there. He often has bad reads, and he's not great at, like, cutting players off as they're moving up the ice and he's skating backwards. But I think those are small aspects of his game that he might be able to work on. I, I you know, hopefully he can go and see a skating coach. I don't know if his skating is an issue the same way as like, say Bo Horvat skating was during his rookie year. I think Bo Horvat needed to be a little bit more explosive. I think Ole Olevi needs to work on his edges and his angles a bit better and, you know, know how to skate backwards a little bit better and not lose positioning while he's trying to defend. That seems to be his biggest issue, at least in the NHL. Uh, and then the Jason Dickinson deal. Yeah, I mean, I was obviously like, I was, again, hoping we could get him for three or just under, but I think it's a completely fair deal. It, what we, It's like three... 3.265 I believe is what his deal came in at no it's uh, uh you're 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 way too high 2.65 oh 2.65 okay yeah great great deal then sorry uh, yeah I, I I thought Dickinson was going to come in closer to 3 million um I know a lot of people were saying that they thought the same thing so I think that's a bargain I think the Canucks saved nearly four hundred thousand dollars on what I think a lot of people were estimating Dickinson was probably going to get uh and yeah, I mean, who knows what he's going to be. I've heard some people think and say that, you know, he could have a little bit more offensive flair in his game that just wasn't being utilized or being counted on in Dallas and playing with some pretty solid wingers, theoretically, in a guy like Pod Colson and maybe a Nils Hoglander or a Tanner Pearson. You know, I mean, Dickinson's a guy that might be able to pot you 15, 20 goals in a in a really good year and maybe he can get you 40 points in a really good year and I can't remember the last time the Canucks had a third line center that got them close to 40 points you know maybe it was Cody Hodson's rookie year was the last third line center or maybe it was Ryan Kessler's rookie year as the third line center uh so it's been a while um but yeah I think these are great value deals for the Canucks and that gave the Canucks that much more room to be able to hopefully get Hughes and Patterson signed Every dollar helps. And another thing with Dickinson that I like is he has experience playing the left side too. And uh, that gives the Canucks some more flexibility with late game situations with maybe you'd see Dickinson and Pearson out there with, uh, with Horvat in more kind of late situations. Uh, and uh, just again, some versatility, he could move into the top six if you need to, but I do believe he's going to be slated very much on the third line, which 
it, it could be interesting. I mean, it could be uh, Pod Coles and Pearson playing with him. Um, I I'm not sure if that's it, but that's just kind of by the depth rankings. That's what I what I have there. But yeah, I I think both of these are great, and every dollar counts right now. And uh, now you had you had to get those pieces in place, in my opinion, before you got down to the two big guys because now you know exactly where you stand. Everyone's signed. The roster's filled out for Abbotsford. You, you know, there's nothing really left that you got to do. You, you're, you're, you're good to go. And so I think right now this is, I, I think, it, again, it was, it was good to get these two guys done, but it really now gives you the, the picture of what, what you need. And uh, so, yeah, for me, no, I mean, you can't go wrong with a league minimum. Um, it is now, though, like as we talked about before, Yolevi does need to clear waivers, but that's, uh, uh, that's, that's something else you have to deal with. If he has a bad camp, he's going to clear waivers. So, um, you know, I hope he comes in as a great camp and makes it really difficult though. Uh, I want to see more than just the outlet pass. And when he does it, everyone on Twitter freaks out. Right. So, uh, <laughs> more than the outlet pass from Oli this year, he needs to, cause otherwise, uh, I mean, then I see with his contract is he can still qualify him and keep his rights, but, um, he needs to, it's, he's 23 now, fifth overall pick. He's got to turn it up another level. Yeah, it's a shame that the injuries have kind of affected his development as much as they have. But, you know, he also has to put in the time and the effort to realize what aspects of his game he really needs to improve on in order to be an everyday NHLer. And that falls on him. And hopefully this offseason he figures that out and he'll be prepared coming into training camp and coming into this pending season to, uh, like you said, make it tough on the coaching staff and try to fight his way into the roster every night couple other uh just quick little fun things well one is fun and one is not um uh let's start with the fun one new dj in house should we apply yeah i mean i look i i feel like most djs in sporting events generally play the same basic rock songs and then Sometimes you get a weird dubstepy song out of nowhere being played. And I mean, the in house DJ is the in house DJ. I do think people seem to be a little bit critical of, uh, I believe her name was Baron S, uh, was the DJ that uh, is no longer going to be doing the in house arena DJing for the Canucks this coming year. Um, people are a little bit critical of her, of her for some reason. I'm not sure why. I, I don't know. I, Maybe it's because she got rid of the goal song being Holiday for Green Day. It's like, fuck, I'm sorry, guys, but that song's terrible. <laughs> I never liked it as the goal song for the Canucks, despite them going on the run that they did in 2011. You know, it's a trash song. Old Green Day was good, but, you know, nothing after, I would say, Nimrod, for me, was worth listening to from Green Day. Um, so I was glad they got rid of the goal song. The U2... where the streets have no names again it's just like it's nostalgic because of the team and how well they were doing i'm over it dude this is a new core a new group let's get a our own let's get this team's own identity out there this group of players own identity with you know new songs to get the crowd pumped and new fans that maybe are just becoming canucks fans because they're at that age now that you know maybe they were toddlers or children when the 2011 run was going on you know why do we have to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and i also know people were criticizing her because she played chelsea dagger once in a canuck game and you know she said she didn't know and whatever but it's just like you know what it was an honest mistake i don't know why people got all upset about it yeah i i i have no idea who to who should come in there that would be a, a fun gig though but uh i do think that a new goal song new intro song it's a new era it's a new team 
Let's give it that identity. I never liked when the streets have no name. I believe the first lines are, I want to run, I want to hide. Like, <laughs> how, what is that supposed to do? Plus, coming out to you too, it's like, it just gives you that kind of walkover mode. It's like, all right, well, these guys are probably just going to go and sing Kumbaya in the intermission. We'll, we'll come out there and, and hit them <laughs> hard. Um, nothing against you two. I like a lot of their songs, including that song, but it just doesn't work for, uh, for a hockey game. So, um, and yeah, um, Green Day for me, Dookie was kind of the cutoff. But again, just ever, I know that's a very divisive thing out there. It's if it's a song where you grow up for and that, that's, you know, that's what you go for. But um, I think this is a new team in a new era and uh, it's a very different team this year. It's the perfect time to, put stamps down on, on this and say, Hey, this is, this is the identity of this new team. Yeah, I agree. What do you think, Doug, about, uh, Jersey ads? That's the not fun one. What do you think about that? I, I mean, this, is this the start of us all looking like European teams with, uh, with, with ads all over the place? I like to think that it's not going to be as bad as European just because of the history in North American sports. There will be a point where fans really push back. Um, I don't like it. I understand the revenue side, but I have always thought that the the kits and the jerseys should be untouched. But what do you think? Yeah, look, I I look, I would prefer there not to be an ad on the jersey. I mean, the only ad that should be on the jersey outside of the team logo should be the manufacturer of the jersey, like Adidas or Nike or Reebok. Obviously, I get why they would put their logo on their jersey since they made the jersey, but it's inevitable. Like Thado says, man, it is inevitable. Uh, the advertising, I, they got advertising on the helmets. They did that last year. Uh, I believe it was Rogers on the Canucks helmet last year. So the, you, you knew it was going to be inevitable. Hopefully they wouldn't sell jerseys with the advertisement on it that only the oh, they- game jerseys – no, I bet they will. I bet they will with it. I bet that's part of it. Just like European uh, soccer jerseys and European hockey jerseys. Yeah, I mean that's that that is disappointing. But you know the other thing too is you got to remember, this puts more money in the pockets and puts more revenue in the NHL and in the game. Yeah. And so you know now the salary cap might be going up sooner rather than later, and the salary cap could be going up more than a million dollars or two million dollars. You know you got the ESPN deal, which I think it also correlates pretty symbiotically with the ESPN TV deal coming back in. Now they're putting ads on the jerseys because there's going to be way more eyeballs theoretically watching hockey games this year. It just, it kind of all makes sense. Uh, Obviously this expansion with Seattle coming in as well, that's, you know, putting more, uh, a whole new fan base, you know, into the hockey world in Seattle. So that's the thing as well. Yeah, look, the purest in me, I don't love it, but you know, the NBA did it a couple of years ago to no one's surprise. The only two North American uh, leagues that I don't believe have done it yet are f- at the NFL and baseball. I don't know if the NFL would just because they make so much money anyways. I don't know if they ever need to. Baseball, again, the thing with baseball, more than any of the other North American sports, the purists are so pure there. It's like you don't mess with anything, right? Guys get caught with steroids in the NFL all the time. It's like, oh, they're suspended. I think Will Fuller, uh, and again, you know, I, uh, give it out some more oh, fantasy Will football Fuller. advice here. He's, uh, he's suspended. No, I had for six I had games. Fuller, I I had Fuller last year. I know, <laughs> but yeah, he's suspended six games. I believe for steroid use. Right? No one's saying the guy should be suspended for 150 games and never be in the Hall of Fame. In baseball, though, you get caught one time doing steroids and you're done. Like your your whole legacy is done. You're suspended. I believe the first offense. I think it's like 50 games. Right? Uh, so it's just weird how they're you know it's a 
double standard between sports. But I, yeah, it, to me, it, it was inevitable that advertising on the jerseys was going to happen. I don't think it'll ever get to the level of Europe, though. I, I just don't see it getting like that. I did not think you were going to compare jersey ads to steroid use, but uh, hey, uh, that's that's where the I get what you're saying. Um, uh, and that with the MLB, that was only after the whole fiasco of everyone juicing all the time that they they did a lot of those. Um, but you make a great point as well about the revenue, and I mean the league was decimated with uh, with COVID, no fans, and you've got to look at revenue streams, right? And so there is. That I think that's a really good argument for it. Uh, I hope it's done tactfully and it's done well. Uh, I do think the Seattle Kraken have an easy sponsor lined up should that happen. I mean, how long do we see Kraken rum on the Kraken jersey? That would be pretty brilliant, pretty funny. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I really don't like it. Uh, it's something that, uh, I mean, some of those European jerseys are just so noisy. And, you know, I, that's why I don't own a Whitecaps jersey. I uh, just got Whitecaps shirts. It's because I don't want to have a big bell right across the, my chest. Um, but so, and, and as you know, I, I kind of do more Canucks t-shirts anyway. So I'll probably just stick more and more with that, getting the kind of the, the unique and fun Canucks shirts that come out as opposed to jerseys. It's a lot cheaper, folks. I'll tell you that. It's a lot cheaper to, to go with the t-shirts and the jerseys as well. And you can get some pretty fun ones out there. And I'll, I'll do that. And then I'll invest in the autograph pucks and other things uh, instead of spending 300 plus on a jersey. So um, that's kind of more my take. It's unfortunate, but yeah, it's, it's going to be less and less likely that I'm buying jerseys in the near future. That's for sure. Doug, let's, uh, let's take this into the free pour. Let's do it. All right, it's time for the free pour open floor segment. And I want to talk about, which I'm sure a lot of people have been talking about, um, a Netflix series. Uh, they've been doing these kind of mini little doc series. The first one I saw was The Malice in the Palace. And then they did one about uh, a female boxer from the 90s. And they just released one that I think most hockey fans have either heard about or have already watched. It's called Crime and Penalties. And if you haven't watched it, you got to watch it. It's just like the most insane story you've ever heard. It's like literally the real life Tony Soprano decides to buy a minor league hockey team for his 17 year old son and puts his 17 year old son in charge as the GM of the hockey team. And it's just a crazy banana story that you would watch and you could even believe it's real. Uh, I think for his 12th birthday, his dad got like Triple H, The Rock, Billy Gunn in China to go to his birthday party and stuff like that. Um, it's a really cool documentary. The whole series that Netflix has been doing um, has been great. So make sure you give all of them a watch because they've all been really good. The ones that I've at least seen. Uh, and this one is uh, Crime and Penalties. Yeah, thanks for the recommend. It reminds me of uh, 30 for 30s. And uh, that was a lot of fun to watch last night. There's a lot of holy shit. What is going on? Um, I want to give you guys a music recommendation. I know we give a lot of music recommendations on this show, but yeah, we both like music a lot. Um, I know summer's winding down, but I found the perfect summer album, and I think you guys all should listen to it. It's by a, a group called Jungle. I don't listen to a lot of their other stuff, 
but the two mixes that they've done have just been incredible. So they did a Back to Mine, part of the Back to Mine series a little while ago, but this new mix that came out, Sunshine Stereo, is freaking incredible. It's just, it's all over the place, different styles, It, but you just put it on in the sun and it just works. Um, among other things is a cover of Stardust's Music Sound Better With You, which is amazing. Um, awesome, fun mix. Check out Sunshine Stereo by Jungle. It's, uh, it's great with uh, a drink in the sunshine. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Uh, episode 85. It's good to be back. Good to be back on the mics and talking hockey and seeing uh, where the conversations end up. And really, all we can kind of do now is just wait for the players to hit the ice. Yeah, I mean, I think before we hit record, we figured out training camps in three weeks from today, which is crazy. Yeah, isn't it? I think uh, September 23rd. So, uh, it's getting closer, but man, it's uh, it's nice to be back. It's nice to start to feel the energy. I know a lot of uh, other teams are starting to make their signings, but September is always kind of like, oh shit, preseason hockey. We're we're getting closer. Yeah, yeah. It's it, like I said, three weeks is gonna go by like nothing, man. I mean, August for me just seemed to go by so quickly. Uh, obviously, the NFL season's starting up. That's great. I'm so excited for that. Uh, yeah, man, there's a lot. Like you said earlier, man, this is my favorite time in the calendar for sports. The other thing I wanted to ask you, Pete, because obviously you're more of a football soccer fan than I am. Uh-oh. What do you think of Ronaldo going back to United? I know you're an Arsenal uh, fan, but what, do you, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? I, I thought you were going to ask me about Arsenal for a second. Um, Ronaldo, <laughs> you know what? Like, uh, I, I, I kind of like it. Um, and... I mean, originally it was he was linked to Man City. I hate Man City. Um, and then uh, uh, Man U grabs him. This is also really telling that the two, probably the two most noteworthy and uh, best players of all time, and uh, noteworthy for sure, best, there'll be arguments of, have both left clubs in Italy and Spain and gone to England and France. I think this is very notice, not, notable. Sorry, I can't talk today. Uh, I blame this delicious tall can of uh, Chase My Tail Pale Ale from Yellow Dog, which is one of my favorites, but uh, I, I kind of like it. I mean, it's it's fun. It's gonna be fun to see him back in a Man U jersey, even though I don't like Man U. But the Premier League this year is bananas, and uh, I think uh, it's gonna be kind of fun. But hopefully, Arsenal can get their shit together because they are driving me nuts. Yeah, I know Arsenal hasn't been playing well, but uh, yeah, I think it's great as well. I'm not a United fan at all, but I I, I think it's great for the Premiership. Uh, for a player like you know, or Ronaldo to go back to United as well, because I, I don't think it would have been great. You know, I think he would have sullied a lot of the history and legacy he had built with United. Uh, you know, a decade and a half ago to go in across the street essentially and sign with City. So I am glad he did sign with United. Uh, there's a guy at work who's a massive, massive United fan, and he 
because the day before we were talking about it and he was talking about how yeah you know if he goes to city it's going to be such a disappointment i can't believe it and then literally that morning he's like did you hear did you hear i'm like no he's like he signed in united man he signed in united i couldn't believe it so yeah it was shocking and then you mentioned as well messi going to psg uh perry saint germain i mean it made sense to me they're one of the richest clubs in the entire world them and man city are uh so yeah messi leaving barcelona i know he didn't want to leave barcelona but barca couldn't sign him uh they couldn't re-sign him so they had to transfer him to psg and yeah arsenal man i don't know what's going on i mean they might even be relegated this year they're playing so bad they're dead last in the the premier league right now it's 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 not good um thanks i should also make sure you, you thank your cat for some of the cameos during there uh, hopefully some listeners uh spotted some of the meows as well in the background and i'll i gotta thank the hobbs the dog over here for interfering and getting the jingle jangle in there and we hope this episode was a bit of a purge from all the social media and bullshit and everything else going on right now it's just nice just to talk hockey and sports and not get political or into all the other crap that is out there um you can also follow us on social media i haven't said all that uh, i'm at pete underscore gas and then as we mentioned earlier the podcast does a playlist on spotify the connect speakeasy outro playlist give that a listen we'll add this track on as well give me a follow on twitter at doug Venn. be sure to follow the podcast on twitter at canucks speak as always thanks for listening hasta luego hasta luego